Amen. Thank you, Sister Pam and, and Pam and Rhonda and Nick for, for, for pull, finding that song on the fly. Um, I want to encourage you at, at this time to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. We are continuing our series through the book of Mark, and I will be mostly right there in, in Mark chapter 12, verses 1 uh, through 11. And 10 and 11 is what Pam had just read. I want to give you the full parable there here in just a few minutes. But today's, today's message is, is simply going to be entitled, the, st- the Stone the Builders Rejected. You can put that first slide up there. The Stone the Builders Rejected. So before we get into that, now's the time of the, of the service where I tell a couple bad jokes and we find out if you thought they were funny or not by whether or not you laugh, okay? So since we were talking about rejection, there's a story of a guy who went into the library and he says, I'm looking for a book on, it says, how to deal with rejection with not physically harming those who reject you. Do you have this book? That was the joke. See, we did. That just went kind of over everybody's head, right? Because what happens if he's rejected, right? So just just checking. Okay, see, that was a bad joke, and that's how we learn. Okay, I've been telling this one all week, and my wife knows she's already knows where I'm going with this one. But hey, not to make light of something serious going on right now, but this one's I still think this one's pretty good. Okay, so Don, you're going to do this with me. Knock knock. Vladimir Putin. I know I should have picked someone else it wasn't my fault it was Putin's okay I'm blaming on him (laughs) aren't we glad that we live uh, in a place where we have some freedom we have we have the privilege to make some choices we have the privilege and that's exactly what freedom is and the scripture tells us that we should not use our liberty as a license to do whatever we want. We should be people who are discerning and glorify God with the privileges that we have been given. And so now let's take a, let's take a look in this text and, and just see what the Lord is saying to us through this, this whole text and this whole parable of the tenants in uh, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 says, Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the, the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty handed. Then he sent another servant to them, and they struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and, and that, that one they killed, and he sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. And he had one left to send, a son, whom he loved. And he sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those who give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Let's pray. 
interesting use of this passage through the words of Christ. That he uses this text that was shared in, 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 in the book of Psalms. And is stating that something marvelous is happening. Something that is, that is amazing that is happening. That there is something right in front of them that they don't recognize. And that God is going to do something with it. Even though his people will reject it. And Lord, today... As these are your words, we must find ourselves on the right side of the story. We must examine our hearts and consider, simply put, this idea of rejection. And Lord, may our ears be open to hear what your spirit is saying today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to get through... um, I want to get through this passage as I just as I just connected in Psalm. This is this comes directly out of Psalm one eighteen uh, through twenty two through twenty three. Right there, that's what the text says in Psalm. That's the the exact quote of what Jesus is sharing with us in this chapter in Mark. Now we see this referenced again in Acts four eleven. But here's what Peter and Pe- here's what Peter's actually speaking it in Acts four eleven. But then Peter writes it in one of his epistles in First Peter two seven. And here's what it says: If you'll put First Peter 2, 7 up there for me, Nick. Did I not put that one in there? Oh, there it is. Cool. Now to you who believe this, now to, to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Now, so again, we, we see this idea in the parable, and I'm not going to get in as much to all the details in the parable, but because I, I feel like in some ways, if you allow, it's kind of obvious. When it talks about the servants, when it talks about the servants of the Lord earlier in the passage before the Son is sent, do you guys know who he's talking about? Who's your assumption is that he may be talking about? What's that? No, the, the ones that came before, and they were beaten, and they were, they were basically persecuted. He's making reference to prophets. He's making reference to prophets who were sent, prophets like Jeremiah, who were given a message that, hey, you need to submit to Babylon, and the people of the day could not imagine that that would have been the Lord's will, and they weren't listening, and they continued to beat, to punish, and he had sent people before him that the religious people of the day did not want to hear. And so then, so this is kind of what this, we, we see this idea in the Old Testament, in Psalms, um, in Psalms in, in referring to the servants, that the Psalms, the Psalms predicted that this would happen at one point. And so then Peter goes, if you can put that text back up there, uh, in the New Testament of what this stone can be. This stone can either be a, a cornerstone or it can be a stumbling block. Now, I, have a, a, uh, I had a pastor that gave this illustration that I feel like really um, just kind of illuminates this. So I'm, I want to do this as we get started this morning. This is Pastor Jeff Fail, by the way, um, that, that did this one of the first, one of my first times really in church in a while when I was a young kid. I remember this illustration, and I think it fits really, really, really well because this is really what Peter is getting at here, okay? We get some point in our life, you know, really doesn't take very long. Uh, most of you realize this about and your kids, about when they're two years old, right? They start to know some things. <laughs> and they start to have some ideas of how mom and dad should be doing things. And when they can say yes and when they can say no. In other words, at some point in your life, 
you become the king of your life. And you sit in the chair. You sit on the throne in your life. And as you get older, you know, you have to start juggling quite a few things. You have to start, you know, dealing when you get young, when you're younger, you have to deal with school. Um, You have to, you got relationships in your life and things you just kind of have to keep kind of juggling up there, like as if you were putting these things on top of you. And then you you get older, okay, you get a a job, um, you get a family, uh, you you, you have a, a marriage, right? And then you have all these other relationships that, that's, that are around those things. You have a house to take care of. I mean, that's a lot. That's like five, six different really heavy things that you have to juggle in your life. And it, it's funny how sometime, this is one of the most common trends that pastors have seen for years. Some point around the, tw- the late 20s, maybe early 30s, and this is something that's happened historically, when uh, we begin to have kids, okay, many people decide, you know what, I don't, whether I was raised this way or whether I wasn't raised this way, it's time, it's time for me to bring a little religion into my life. You know, I really want my kids, really want my kids to, to be in church. I really want to raise them in a good way. I want them to be good people. And, and then we just try to, to, to throw religion in into all of this stuff and we juggle on top of everything else right and sometimes if you do this long enough religion add religion to your marriage add religion to your uh, to your job add religion to your social relationships add religion to all these extracurricular things that your kids are now doing and these things that you now have to be present for because your church wants you to, man, does it, it can start to feel kind of heavy, can it? Throwing religion into the mix. Now, this is a modern, this is a modern kind of expression of really what the Pharisees we're experiencing what, what Jesus was sharing about the, the Pharisees in this text, that, that, that religion came and it looked like something strange to them. It looked like something awkward. It, look, it looked like something too much, too heavy for them to, to, to carry. Because church, have you caught, I've done this illustration way back, by the way. Have you caught the metaphor here? Who really needs to be sitting in the chair? Who really needs to be seated in the chair of your life? Christ. Christ. He is meant to be the cornerstone. It's not that we throw Jesus into the mix somehow. It's that we make Jesus the cornerstone, the thing on which we stand upon, the, thing, the, the, the reason that we are here, and that through Christ we can hold everything together. We have perspective. We have understanding of what our purpose is in all these roles, what our purpose is in a marriage, what our purpose is as a parent, what our purpose is in our job, what our purpose is in all these extra things that we think are important that need to be part of our life because today in our culture we've got to learn how to, to weed some things out and understand what our priorities are. But where do we get those standards from the culture and let ourselves be king and figure it out for ourselves, or do we learn to get the heck out of the chair and let Christ be the Lord of our life? And so this is what Peter is talking about in his text, that the reality of Christ can just be something you try to juggle into your life, and eventually that thing's going to get pretty daggone heavy. Eventually it's going to be something you're going to stumble over 
that's going to cause some troubles for you. Because religion wasn't just, mixed, wasn't just made to be mixed into everything else. Your relationship with Christ was meant to be the foundation for who you are. Remember, we've heard the text I've shared in recent sermons. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny everything, deny other things, and take up your cross and follow Christ. And so this is what we see in this Peter text, and this is what, what begins to happen. And this was an early theme, as we've seen in Acts 4.11 and 1 Peter 2.7, this was an early theme of Christianity that Christ has now become the cornerstone. He is, this is what Psalms 118 was talking about. I'm saying that that's what some of the early Christians, the, the apostles, were communicating that Christ is now the cornerstone. And so I want to unpack a few things here before we get to communion. The first, he was the stone that was rejected. He was the stone that was rejected. But we all personally have troubled, trouble with rejection, don't we? I got my letter back from Mensa. You guys know Mensa? The smartest people in the world. I got my letter back from those guys the other day. I was rejected. Bunch of idiots. But isn't that our attitude? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Whenever we get rejected, it doesn't matter for, for what purpose. We either want to blame it on somebody else or we want to attach some twisted meaning to it that there's something wrong, there's something innately wrong with us that we were rejected. We see this stuff we see this all the time. You know what it's like to feel rejected. Your first instinct is to fight. Your first instinct is vengeance and the people that made you mad. And then, then if you allow that to set in a little bit longer, oftentimes it becomes internalized. And we're always attaching meaning to it. But you know what Christ says? You know what Scripture says about rejection? <laughs> it says expect it. This is part of the human experience. It really goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Remember the book of Genesis when, when Cain brought a sacrifice and it was not accepted? He says, if you, do, if, you, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. That was a moment for Cain right before he killed someone. He, he obviously was the guy at the beginning of the joke, right? That can't quite handle rejection. If he's rejected, he's probably going to physically harm someone. And that's exactly what he did. Okay? Cain slew Abel, if you didn't know. But, but that, it all begins right there. And the Lord tells us he'd caution in these kinds of moments when you are rejected and expect to be rejected. And this is what happened with the cornerstone. So I want you to catch this, that all throughout this, cha in, in, in chapter 12, it prophesied in the Psalms as well, that the plan of God, the plan of God for his word to be fulfilled, for perfection and truth to be fulfilled, his plan was a plan of reject, rejection. I am going to come to the world and everyone is going to see me as their king. Nope, that wasn't his plan. I'm going to come to the world and I'm going to be really poor and I'm going to, I'm going to heal some people. I'm going to do some amazing things and then everybody's going to know that I'm going Nope, that wasn't his plan. I'm going to come to the world. I'm going to do some amazing things. I'm going to serve. And then 
I'm going to be rejected. Can you imagine just Jesus having a talk with a bunch of angels before he does this? Like, you're what? You're, the, you're God and you're going to go and get rejected by your creation? The plan of God was rejection. And so it says something about us that we must be able to recognize that rejection doesn't always mean something that we have to attach meaning to quickly. Because that's what we often do. The meaning to being that there's something wrong with them that they would reject me. Or there's something wrong with me that they would reject me. Okay, Rather than just accept that this is a part of life. Sometimes things don't work out like we'd hope. Sometimes the, the Lord can steer us in other directions. <sighs> and sometimes you just weren't meant to play in the NFL. Okay, It's just part of life. You're going to have to live with that. Now, I see this, though. Um, I see this oftentimes with, I see this with 20-somethings the most. With 20-somethings that they, they, they're just getting their jobs, just getting out of college, or just starting a new career. And there's feeling like something heavy is on the line and all that's going on they, they have a harder time with rejection but really more it's a fear because you know why they haven't failed before many of them haven't failed in a big way before or haven't been rejected in some way haven't really tasted what that's like in an adult life and it's really something that they're scared of but I got to believe that many of you that I see here in this room have experienced it and know that if you have the right attitude it is certainly something that you can learn from. It's those opportunities that you grow. And so speaking of this, by the way, the word of God, the truth of scripture, will typically be rejected by someone else unless their heart is ready to receive it and unless the ground, right, is ready. Jesus tells us this time and time again in scripture. Uh, personified best in the parable of the of the the reaper okay the different types of soil and Jesus says unless their heart is ready they're not going to receive it but perhaps you can sow a seed and help take them down that road now so what we want to see we want to prepare our hearts for rejection and, and, and recognize that this is the Lord's will this was the plan of God that the stone would be rejected but now I want to talk about the stone that was removed for an inheritance. So this is kind of where we get, um, this is basically where we get out of verse uh, 7. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. So once you imagine, like with that stone, remember, remember the end of the movie, Shawshank Redemption? Um, the guy, uh, well, don't remember anybody's names, but um, why can't I remember his name? Anyway, he gets his inheritance. He go gets, goes and gets this prize. He has to go find this stone, and then underneath the stone is this kind of this inheritance, some money, and then a, then a treasure for him and a plan to tell him where to go. It's just kind of like this idea of removing the stone to get the inheritance, but this stone wasn't just removed by the Pharisees, by the teachers, teachers of the law in this text, this, this stone, through metaphor, was basically thrown at others, removing Christ so that they can get the inheritance, removing Christ so that, well, they can be God. They can sit in the chair. They can have the keys themselves to the kingdom of heaven. 
See, I want you to catch this. This is probably the, the key thing that, that, that I want to share today. I caught through this as I was studying. He says, religious people had to be right. Religious people in this text, we could use the word in the present tense as well, have to be right. Relationship people are comfortable and secure in themselves, knowing and sharing all the ways that they have been wrong. See, this is true because Christ's power is made perfect in weakness. Christ's power is made perfect in our weakness. That we can, instead of getting it out of the way, we can learn to stand on it. We can learn to stand on God's word as truth. What, how's, the, how's the song goes, guys? I thought about singing it this morning. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Sing it with me now. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Now, I want you to catch this because when we say things like stand upon the word of God, we still tend to get really religious with it these days. Like standing upon the word of God, we like to, feels like we like to stand and point the finger in the other direction. They should not be doing that in our government. They should not be doing that in their home. They should not be acting like that. Church, Scripture is... Have you, I mean, if, if we've read the Bible, we, we, we can quickly begin to understand that that is actually very foreign to the ways of Christ. That is very foreign to the ways of the Holy Spirit because standing on the Word of God looks a little bit more like this. I need to become more forgiving. I need to distribute more grace. I need to learn to be more patient. I need to learn to give people more the benefit of the doubt. I need to be a man that draws near to God more often. I need to be someone that learns to give more. Do you see this? Whenever we hear that language, we think the stand upon the word of God means stand and point your finger somewhere else. But the ways of the Lord, he's always talking to you. And this is what was happening in this scripture, church. Jesus was right in front of them. The Messiah that the religious people had been waiting for was right in front of them. And they stood upon their religion and pointed the finger at him. See, we got to find ourselves. We got to find ourselves on the right side of this story. We got to find ourselves recognizing that this is meant to be a mirror, a mirror into our soul if we will allow the Holy Spirit to bring transformation into our lives. But it's hard because sometimes this is a hard word, which is the last thing I want to talk about. The stone that was the hard word. The stone that was the hard word word. Have you got a hard word from God lately? 
See, I know what it means. And both, both sides of the story are true. That the Lord tells us that we are blessed. The Lord tells us that we are loved. The Lord tells us that he has a plan for us. The Lord tells us he's protecting us, that, that he is with us, that he is near. These are, these are what I call the soft words, right? The encouraging words. But have you received a hard word? Something that required change, for lack of a better word, change in you. So I've been noticing something, and, and Daniel, maybe you've noticed this as well as a therapist. There's, there's this thing that happens oftentimes with people. As a new therapist, I notice that people will come in, and a majority of clients, they already know what the problem is. They often just need someone to sit with them and to help them process and to help them get to a point where they can really admit what is going on on the inside. And as Christ followers, I hope that we can, we can come to terms with this reality that oftentimes, maybe a lot of the things that we are wrestling with, the things that cause us the great deal of stress, the great deal of worry, perhaps we already really know what the hard word of the Lord is. We already really know what we need to change because I'm sorry, I don't mean to tell you this, but if you're, if you're a Christ follower and you, you spend some time in the presence of God, you allow him to speak to you, you're going to hear some hard words from time to time. Now, let me clarify what a hard word is and what a hard word is not. Like, the Lord does not say things to you like, you are a failure, you will never be good enough, or, 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 or those kind of things. Those are not hard words. Those are lies. Those are lies that we tell ourselves or lies we believe from someone else. And oftentimes, they're lies that come in rejection. And his way is that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But God, his light, God's words are to point out hard words, are to point out the patterns in your life that you are operating in that are counter to the truth of his gospel. For example, like your excessive worry. He may point to you about a hard word about your bitterness a hard word about your constant knack to please people, a hard word about your pursuit of something that you're never going to get, a hard word about your habits that are killing your body and killing your soul, a hard word about the forgiveness that you are being called to offer. And so because I have seen this to be true in my life as a believer and in the lives of, as well of many who are unbelievers, I have to assume that as a man or a woman of God that there is a hard word in your heart right now. And so with that, I just want to encourage you and ask our deacons to come forward to prepare for communion. I want to ask all of you to bow your heads and close your eyes. So our deacons come forward to prepare for communion. What is the Lord saying to you? If you feel a sense of stress, if you feel a sense of fear, if you feel a sense of worry, if you feel a sense of frustration, what is the Lord saying to you? What is the Lord pointing to? What is the, 
the stone of Christ that is right in front of you that for whatever reason, maybe you didn't want to admit it, maybe you didn't want to be honest, but it's become a stumbling block instead. See, there's nobody. I'm not going to ask you to lift up your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do uh, anything necessarily in, in corporate today. We're all going to come forward and partake of communion together because that is the corporate thing that you're going to do. This is that time of examining and allowing the Lord to be present in our midst. And Nick, you can begin to play that music as I go into 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You can bring that down just a little bit. It says, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and and drink the cup, this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And here's what it says in verse 27. He says, so, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And that, those are severe things. We don't understand what those things mean exactly. What is that unworthiness or the, um, in an unworthy manner? But here's some clarity to this in verse 28. It says, Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. And in this moment, for the next minute, moment of silence, I want to allow you the space to examine yourself as we prepare for communion. we examine we're reminded the Lord has given us a simple path forgive me Lord forgive me Lord for allowing your voice in my life to become a stumbling block rather than the foundation thank you for showing me the truth and for showing me the path that I can place the rock that I can place my feet upon. Thank you, Lord. This time I'm going to begin to be dismissed row by row. And if you would like prayer, I'm, I'll be standing right there with you in the aisle. It would be my privilege to pray with you uh, before you come for communion uh, this morning.
Let's pray. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that for the image even of this stone that, that in our life we have a choice. Every day we have this choice. We can stand upon your truth or it can be a stumbling block for us. Lord, I pray that, that as we choose to stand upon your truth, we would experience that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And Lord, as we find our time stumbling over your truth, I pray through your grace that you would bring us back home, Lord, and remind us of who we are. We thank you for the privilege to partake of you, to look in the mirror on days like today and be reminded of who we are in you. Thank you for your word and for your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We invite you to stand this morning, excuse me, for your benediction. May you receive Christ as the cornerstone of your life and respond to the hard word that the Lord has been revealing to you. Rejecting the yoke of the world, which brings confusion, frustration, and insecurity, and taking upon his yoke, which is easy and gentle and brings true life. God bless you and have a wonderful week.